0: Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares.
1: I want to show you both the good side and the bad side from 2 Samuel chapter 16 from a terrible crisis taking place in the life of King David. Let me show you both how and how not to respond when people in your life aren't there for you, criticize you when you're down, and turn their back on you and walk away when you need them the most. Let me show you how you should and should not respond.
0: Have you ever heard the phrase, when it rains, it pours? When you're going through a rough patch, it can really feel like the misfortunes just keep piling up. And today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is pointing to a time when King David experienced this same phenomenon. He is being hunted by his son, Absalom. And if that weren't bad enough, his friends have started turning against him, too. Well, Pastor Mike is helping us learn how to respond when people let us down. let's get started.
1: You to think about three people. Let me tell you who they are, okay? You ready? First one I'd like you to think of and picture in your mind is your best friend. I mean, your all time best friend in the whole wide world. Okay? Pick somebody there now. Got him? Okay, next person I want you to picture in your mind is uh, someone seated in your row that you don't know. But maybe you've seen them around here. You don't know their name. So go ahead and look down the row. See, find somebody there. Somebody you don't know very well. Don't know their name. All right. Got them? Picture that person in your mind. Okay? Third person. I want you to think of a pastor. Okay? Doesn't have to be me. Just a pastor. You think of, uh, maybe get a pastor you know, though. It can be Tony or Dan or Mark or me or whoever. Or if you're from another church, some, some your pastor. Think of your pastor. Okay? Got all three of those in your mind? Picture them, best friend, somebody in your row, your pastor. Okay, ready? Scenario. You are traveling northbound on I-5. It's about 10 till 8 in the morning, and you get caught in a terrible traffic jam. You realize you have a flat tire, a bad one. By the time you get over to the shoulder of the freeway, you're like riding on the rim. That's how bad it is. Really bad flat tire. Now, um... If you have AAA, it expired last month, okay? Your cell phone, mm you forgot it. It's not there. Um, and the spare in your trunk, you remember, never got repaired from last year's flat tire. Okay, so that's your scenario. Got it? First guy to drive up in the snarled, slow, two-mile-an-hour traffic is me. It's your pastor. If you didn't think of me, it's whoever you thought of. I roll the window down as I'm cruising by, and I say, hey, flat tire. Bummer. It's terrible. Well, got to go. See you Sunday. Okay. Got it. You've made the mental note. Find new church. Next car pulls up. It's that guy in the row there. You don't know his name. It's that person there in that row. And you've seen him at PCC. And they cruise by and they roll down their window and they say, hey, what's going on? And you say, duh, flat tire. And they say, wow, got a spare? You say, "Mm, nah, no. No. They say, you idiot. What are you doing driving on the freeway without a spare tire? They shouldn't let people like you on the road. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. At last, you see the car of your best friend pulling up. Ah, Sense of relief washes over you. They roll the window down. You say, wow, am I glad to see you. And they say, that tire... That flat It's no mistake. it's no accident. As a matter of fact, I was thinking of cutting your brake lines. <laughs> you ought to be glad I just sabotaged the tire. And by the way, maybe this will get you to think how to treat your friends and maybe next time you won't treat your friends as lousy as you've treated me the last few years. By the way, don't ever expect to hear from me again. Wow. Now, hopefully, that will never happen to you. But unfortunately, I hate to tell you, you will have those feelings. And you will have those feelings and situations in your life, problems and crises in your life that are a whole lot less obvious than a flat tire. You'll be struggling, you'll be hurting, and you will feel neglected, abandoned, you will feel lonely, you will feel criticized, and you'll feel betrayed. And you'll have those feelings of pain, and when that kind of pain, that kind of emotional abandonment sets in, you can really see your Christian life take 10 steps backwards. It can be devastating. It can rock your faith, it can make you question everything you believe, it can get you real mad at God. or believe it or not, it can move you a few steps forward in your walk with Christ. The difference between taking 10 steps backwards and two steps forward is all in how you respond. And if you're ready and prepared to deal with that kind of rejection. This morning, I'd like us to learn from the life of King David in the midst of one of his worst trials, things that will help us make the most of that kind of pain and it will be for us, I hope, the thing that n- keeps us moving forward in our Christian life. I want to show you both the good side and the bad side from Second Samuel chapter 16, from a terrible crisis taking place in the life of King David. Let me show you both how and how not to respond when people in your life aren't there for you, criticize you when you're down, and turn their back on you and walk away when you need them the most. Let me show you how you should and should not respond. Now, David's life, as you might remember, is in terrible turmoil. Second Samuel chapter 16, verse number 1, shows us as David is marching out of the city of Jerusalem beyond the summit. He gets just beyond the summit of the Mount of Olives, and he's leaving Jerusalem because Absalom is coming in to take over Jerusalem, his own son, who has formed a coup and is taking over the political and military leadership of Israel. His own son has betrayed him and is kicking him out of town. Now, that's a crisis, a big crisis. He's running as a fugitive for his life. There is no guarantee of his income or his future or even his well-being. He's in big trouble. The military leaders, for the most part, have been held hostage, basically, in Hebron, 22 miles away, and now David is left with just his family and those that were left in the city, and he's gone. But as he's going past the summit of the Mount of Olives, it says a man named Ziba shows up. He is the steward, it says in verse 1, of Mephibosheth. And that may sound familiar to you because we've already seen David's dealings with this guy named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is the grandson of King Saul, and more importantly to David, he is the son of Jonathan. You might remember Jonathan, David's best friend, was killed on Mount Gilboa in a terrible military defeat in the last chapter of 1 Samuel. David, when he finally ascends to power in 2 Samuel, looks for any descendants of Jonathan. And he says, for Jonathan's sake, I want to be good to any of his descendants. Is anyone still alive? And sure enough, Ziba, who's hanging around the palace, says, I know someone, the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, is still alive. And you know what? He's living in a place called Lo Debar. Well, David finds out he's a paraplegic. He can't walk. He has no real source of income, and he's probably living penniless from day to day in the city of Lodabar, and David says, bring him here. And David brings Mephibosheth, a paraplegic, into the palace, and believe it or not, he gives him everything Saul ever owned. He says, all his real estate, all his family land, his bank accounts, everything. And by the way, I'm going to set a placard and a chair at my table, and you are welcome to come and eat amongst the king's son anytime you want, amongst the king's sons anytime you want. You can come in. I'm going to treat you like one of the family. Can you imagine? And Mephibosheth's response was was overwhelming gratitude. Thank you. I can't believe you would do this for me. And David had poured his life into Mephibosheth with great generosity. And, you know, you might expect some kind of friendship to grow out of that, and I'm sure there was. But in this passage, you don't see Mephibosheth showing up. You see Ziba, his servant, showing up. And he was waiting to meet David, and he had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with all kinds of food, bread and raisin cakes and and figs and a skin of wine. And and David says to to Ziba, why'd you bring these things? Obviously, these are Mephibosheth's things. Why are they here? Ziba says, well, you know, the donkeys are for you and your household to ride on. The bread and fruit are for the men to eat, and the wine is to refresh those who become exhausted in the desert. It's just for you, king. And the king says in verse 3, well, that's all well and fine, but where's Mephibosheth? Where's your master's grandson? And Ziba says to him, well, I hate to tell you this, Dave, but, you know, he's staying in Jerusalem. Actually, I heard him say something like this. He said, today, the house of Israel is going to give me back my grandfather's kingdom. I know that must hurt, Dave, but, you know, it seems like he's more into himself than you. I know you were really good to him, but, yeah, he ain't got time for you. David, verse 4, without any real description of his pain, but you know he's feeling it. He says to Ziba, fine, forget him then. All that belonged to Mephibosheth, it's yours. Ziba says, uh, I humbly bow. May I find favor in your eyes, my lord, the king. Now, the pain is not uh, articulated for us, but you can imagine. You can imagine being left there in the midst of your trial with someone that you expected to be loyal and faithful and give you some support in the midst of your struggle, just driving by. See ya. You know, we are... Naturally inclined, I think, to do that. Especially when we're hurting. And we have been vulnerable. We've been honest, open. With someone that is a fellow Christian, maybe in a small group, maybe in the lobby, maybe on the patio afterwards, maybe in a discipleship relationship, we've shared our heart. We've poured out our struggles. You took my, my message last week seriously and you said, Oh, we need to lean on the team. We need to have uh, you know, other Christians involved in our trial. And you've done it. You've opened up. You've been vulnerable. And then. Nothing spilled your guts at a small group. One person call, you no. anybody write you a letter? No. Next Sunday, did anybody say how it's going? Not a person, not one person. And you feel abandoned. You feel ripped off. You feel like you tried to reach out for help and no one helped you. And it makes you angry. And much like David, you may respond the way David responds. Fine, then forget it. And that's what he does. He says, all of Mephibosheth's stuff is not his anymore. I'm taking it all back. I'm giving it to you. Ziba, it's yours. And he writes off his friend, a friend that he'd been committed to, a friend that he had been generous toward, and a friend who had pledged his faithful friendship and loyalty to. I mean, Mephibosheth had told David he'd be there for him, and David said, now that you're not here for me in my hour of need, forget you. Keep your finger here and turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. I want to show you in contrast how Jesus responds when his friends fail him, because you know, don't you, that Jesus' friends failed him frequently. And the text says in verse 36 of Matthew 26 that Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. That's James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. That's what he felt. Verse 38. Then he said to them, he revealed it to them. He exposed his pain to them. And he said, guys, Peter, James, John, my soul, it's overwhelmed with sorrow. What kind of sorrow? I'm telling you guys, this is a sorrow to the point of death. I mean, I'm feeling pain like I've never felt before. Stay here, please. Could you, could you stay here with me and, and keep watch? I mean, I need to pray and I need to talk with God. Could you stay up here with me and help me through this time? And they stood there as they watched Jesus's forehead hit the, the dusty ground as he began to pray a prayer that sounded like this. My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but, but as you will. And when he turned around and looked toward his disciples and saw them there, he found them sleeping. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, you could just feel the emotional. Right? <laughs> like, where are you going? What's going on here? I told you, didn't I, that this is the most emotional pain I've ever felt? Didn't I make it clear that I'm troubled in my heart more than I've ever been? Haven't I asked you clearly to be here for me? I mean, haven't we spent three years together? And yet they're sleeping. And he addresses the problem. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, verse 40. Now, that's what he said, but notice what he did not say. He did not say, you know what? You guys really don't care about me, do you? I thought I was your friend. Forget it. Forget it. Just get out of here. You guys go. Obviously, you're not interested in helping me. You know, I guess we weren't as close as I thought we were. It's not what he says. Oh, he addresses the problem. And he says, watch and pray. He tells him again, not get out of here. Come on, watch and pray with me so you won't fall into temptation. I know the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He even sounds sympathetic here, doesn't he? I understand it. I mean, I I get it. He went away a second time, and he prayed, verse 42, My father, if if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, uh, well, may your will be done. He went back again and found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. So he left them, and he went away one more time, and he prayed a third time and said the same thing. He returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting Look, the hour is near. The son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, this is critical in verse 46. Do you see what you see here? Third word, rise, let. What's the next word? Us. You know what I'd be saying at that point? See ya. I gotta go now. (laughs) You're not gonna help me? Fine. Jesus, note it by what he does not say. He does not write off his friends. They failed him. Would you agree with that? They failed him. He did not write them off. He didn't say like David, fine, that if Mephibosheth's not going to be here for me, then forget it. Let him go. I don't want to have anything to do with him anymore. But isn't that what we're tempted to say when someone doesn't come through for us and we expect for them to be sensitive and inquisitive and interested in our pain and they seem to not be? Man, don't do that. i put it this way in your outline. Jot it down. Give friends the benefit of the doubt. Write that down. Give friends the benefit of the doubt. You know what that is? That's the opposite of writing them off. Writing them off is, you know what, I don't, I don't need those guys then. Obviously, they're not my friends then. I'm not going back to that small group Bible study and sharing anything about my life again. I'm certainly not going to tell them my problems if obviously they're not even interested. And I asked them to pray, and they said they would. And you know what, they didn't even ask me about it. When I mentioned it again, he acted like he didn't even know what I was talking about. Now, you realists out there heard me say, give your friends the benefit of the doubt, and your eyes kind of rolled back, right? Oh, pfft. <laughs> You know, because you know that oftentimes people are more into themselves and you're kind of concerned about that imperative that I've just laid out for you because, you know, people do fail you. And I've experienced that. And, you know, what? I'm not denying that. What I'm telling you is that you're smarter to give your friends the benefit of the doubt. You know why? Because more times than not, you will be right in giving them the benefit of the doubt. Let me prove it to you. Here's an example from David's life. Turn back, if you would, to 2 Samuel. But instead of going all the way back to chapter 16, stop in chapter 19 and let me show you what happens if we could roll the tape forward and see this scenario coming on the other end. In other words, the Absalom rebellion is now quelled, it's all over, it's quashed, and here comes David back into Jerusalem, marching back into Jerusalem. Now with, with his son Absalom dead, obviously bitterness and heaviness of heart in David's chest, but he's coming back and he's going to take the throne and there's no more rebellion, no more uprising in the nation. And as he's coming back, guess in chapter 19, verse 24, who meets him? Look at it, verse 24. Uh-oh, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, David's son, or Jonathan, Jonathan's son, also went down to meet the king. Now, notice this is a very important historical notation. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until he returned safely. Now, if he was really looking to jockey for a position in the kingdom with Absalom, do you think he'd walk around like that? David is meeting Mephibosheth, and he looks like a stinking mess. His mustache all out of whack. His feet just totally crudded over. His clothes, man, they're ugly and dirty, and he stinks. And Dave says, wow, what's going on? And it was clear what was going on. He was mourning over David's departure. He was hurting. And he was hurting because he was loyal to David. And David says, look at this next verse. Why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? And he said, my lord, the king... Since I, your servant, am lame, I, I told my servant Ziba to get the donkey and saddle it up and I'd ride on it, but, but he didn't do it. I was, was going to come with you, but, but, but Ziba, he betrayed me, and he's also slandered me to, to you. I mean, I, I wasn't betraying you. Look at me. My Lord, the king, you know, I mean, in my eyes, you're the greatest. You're like an angel of God. Do whatever pleases you. Whatever you decide to do, if you want to believe him, that's fine. But I've been faithful and loyal to you. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing from you but death. But you gave your servant a place among those who sat at your table. So what right do I have to make any appeals to you, the king? The king said, why say more? In reality, he's saying, please don't say any more, right? How painful. Now I've already given all your stuff to Ziba. I don't know what to do. Just split your stuff up. And Mephibosheth said to the king, hey, man, let him take everything. Now that my lord, the king, arrived home safely. That's all I cared about. Man, I've been praying for you. been mourning over you. Do you see how embarrassing a situation this is? David had written him off and given away all of his stuff. And guess who was in Jerusalem without any way to get out of Jerusalem, praying and mourning and caring every day for David and his safety? Mephibosheth. you know that happens all the time? Back to our scenario on the I-5. If I was the guy driving by there, Remember what I said to you in in this story we told? I said, got to go. And you took that as, you know what, he didn't care about me. Then you know what, you would have been wrong because you know where I was going? I was headed to a funeral that morning. And when I passed you by and couldn't stop to help you with the flat tire, I I didn't have a choice. Actually, there was a, a mother that had lost her young son and I had to do the funeral at the El Toro Cemetery and I couldn't stop. But I'll tell you what I did. I did get on my cell phone after I passed and I called for help. You may not have known that, but uh, I also prayed for you for about five minutes as I was going. Now, I know you didn't realize that and you didn't see that, but that's what was going on. So if you wrote me off, that wouldn't have been a good idea, because in reality, like Mephibosheth, you didn't really understand where my heart was. Do you know how often that happens? Do you know that sometimes you share your heart with someone and they don't respond in the way you expect them to? And you know it's not that they don't care, it's that sometimes they don't know how to respond. They literally care, but they don't know know how to respond. They don't know what to say. Sometimes they can't respond. Here's all I'm saying to you. Give your friends the benefit of the doubt. Because when you're in crisis, I think your tendency is, I have a need and I need it met now. And that myopic attitude, that myopic emotion, keeps you from recognizing that sometimes people can't respond in the prescribed way that you think they should respond. And there's lots of factors involved. Give your friends the benefit of the doubt. Because more times than not, you'll be right. They do care. They just weren't able to help you the way you expected them to, when you expected them to.
0: Give your friends the benefit of the doubt. Wise advice from Pastor Mike Fabares here on Focal Point. To review the study notes for today's message, or to listen again, go to focalpointradio.org. Just look for the message called, What to do when your team isn't much help? We're so glad to have you with us today and every day as we study the depths of God's Word. Our goal is to help people understand the truth of Scripture and then equip them with a strong biblical foundation so they're prepared to endure life's trials. Focal Point airs on more than 800 radio stations and outlets across the United States and is accessible worldwide through the Internet and the Focal Point mobile app. This program is freely available because broadcasting and production costs are funded by listeners. And if you're among those who support this program financially, I'd like to express our gratitude. Because your giving enables others to hear truth and gain wisdom and understanding as a result. Right now we're featuring a helpful book written by Pastor Mike called Lifelines for Tough Times. This book will help you understand why God allows suffering as well as provide you with resources to stand strong in the face of trials and rest in God's care. We'll send you a copy of Lifelines for Tough Times as our way of saying thanks for your generosity today. To make a donation, go to focalpointradio.org. You can also call 888-320-5885. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Now, even if you can't give today, we still want to hear from you. And when you let us know that you're listening, we'll send you a free CD from Pastor Mike's Lifelines for Troubled Time series. Ask us about the CD called God's Presence and Help When You Hurt when you call 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. Or find it online at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Druey, inviting you to join us again Tuesday as we continue our study through 2 Samuel right here on Focal Point.
1: Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again
0: tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.